for any business that's got those ups and downs and the hills and valleys, like a roller coaster, that there's oftentimes during the busy season where you don't have time to do the projects or time to do those um, those other tasks that you would like to do. And the slower season is a great time to engage your staff to help you figure those things out. In fact, if you you know bring maybe a small focus group together and say, here are the things that we, we know are um, maybe pinch points during the during the busy season. How do we now take what we know from that last busy season and put together some, some new processes or a new procedure that would help make sure that we're tackling that or, or not having those pinch points the next year? Welcome to the Attraction Pros Podcast, where we discuss the latest trends and challenges facing the attractions industry today. We chat with some of the top leaders in the field and provide resources that will help develop your career in this great industry. I am Josh Liebman. I am obsessed with the guest experience and helping attractions make that their top priority for success. And I'm Matt Heller. I am passionate about organizational effectiveness, leadership development, and employee engagement. Now sit upright, hold on tight, and get ready for the Attraction Pros Podcast. Hey, Josh, how are you? Hey, Matt, I am stuffed. How are you? <laughs> well, I'm fantastic, but I am also stuffed. Uh, why is that? What holiday did you, do we just celebrate? Well, at the time of this recording, uh, we have just gotten back from Thanksgiving break, and there was no shortage of food this Thanksgiving. <laughs> See, what about I thought, you? Well, I thought you were going to say we just celebrated IAPA week, which is true also. That's, That's true. like a holiday in our world, but yes. But IAPA always just leaves me hungry for more. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's conflicting emotions. You know? I guess, I guess. So, yes, um, uh, I'm I'm still kind of uh, dining on some leftovers, but we've got some leftovers as well that mm. we want to talk a little bit about today because at uh, the IAPA conference that we just uh, were at, we got to do Attraction Pros Live, which is always live, live which is always a ton of fun. Uh, but it always seems like we don't get to all the questions because there's so many good ones and so many really good questions. Uh, uh, pieces of input and lots of good, uh, lots of good discussion. So I've got some extras here. Would you like to tackle these as our AP Live leftovers? I think that that sounds like a great idea. I think munching on leftovers, uh, particularly after Thanksgiving, is always a great idea. And like you said, we we always get so many amazing questions during Attraction Pros Live, and they always turn into very thoughtful discussions. So we end up having what I think we can consider to be a good problem to have, and that's that we have more topics than we have of time to discuss. Because there's, you know, obviously there's a fixed amount of time for the session. We want you know to respect our audience's time as well, the fixed amount of time for the podcast, as well as those who are in the room and participating. Uh, and by the way, just a quick note that if you have not listened to Attraction Pros Live yet, the most recent one was, let's see, it would have been two episodes ago. So once you finish this one, you don't have to stop right now and go back, but definitely make sure you listen uh, to everything we talked about because we, we had uh, so many amazing people in the room and uh, just so much amazing thoughtful discussion. So I, I suppose we'll, we'll give thanks again to everyone who was there, who participated, and as well as uh, to IAPA for allowing us to host the session. Absolutely. So um, like I said, we've got some leftovers here. And like you said, it's it's a great problem to have that we don't get to all of them, but to be respectful of everybody, we do want to take as much time as we can to, to answer as many as we can, because they took the time to think of these questions and put them down. And, and hopefully they're going to, they're going to like our answers and we don't get to talk about it with, with the bigger group, but real quick Thanksgiving day question for you. Oh, okay. What was your favorite food? Oh, man. I mean, I want to say turkey, but I feel like that that's going to be a, a cliche answer. But at this Thanksgiving dinner that I was at, we also had prime rib and some of it was was carved and some of it was still on the bone. And uh, I, I think I'm going to gear my answer towards that. All right. It was, it was really, really good. <laughs> What about you? What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? Well, um, usually it's the stuffing, mm. right? And I'm I'm a simple guy. I love the stovetop stuffing. Um, but this year, my wife made stuffing from scratch with yeah. the, all the bread pieces and the seasonings and everything. 
and it was outstanding. So to this year, my my favorite that I went back for maybe three times was the stuffing. <laughs> and is there any leftover? No, no, of course not. <laughs> So you're telling me as great as that stuffing was, you're going to tell me, you're going to tell everyone listening to this, but you don't have enough to share with everybody. Well, no, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Follow-up question. What, uh, what kind of bread was used for it? That's a great question. A a couple of different kind, honestly, she had a couple of different bread loaves that she used and cut them all up into little pieces, but I don't, no, exactly. Grab Linda. Where's Linda? Is, she here? <laughs> is is that important? Like, do you do you know enough about it to to know that different bread will create different results? I only know enough to know that my wife's grandmother makes it with challah bread. Okay, and I can tell you from my perspective that it, it's fantastic. Okay, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it was really good. All right, maybe maybe we'll someday we'll have a stuffing cook off. Yes. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, so are you ready to get to the AP Live leftovers? Absolutely. I'm still hungry. (laughs) Well, hopefully our listeners are hungry for knowledge because this is going to be jam-packed. So here we go. Here's the first one. How do I sell myself and my skills to different groups and companies in the industry? To me, I feel like this one's kind of up your alley, Mr. Networking. I was going to say, this feels like a networking question here. So uh, can we repeat that? How, how do I sell myself yeah. and my skills? And then what was that to different to different industry? Yeah, different to groups. different groups and companies in the industry. Okay. Well, I think there's a lot to unpack here. If we're talking about selling ourselves, we're talking about really putting ourselves out there, making ourselves marketable, trying to make ourselves in demand so that perhaps companies or groups approach us with what we have to offer and seeking that out versus the other way around, which is I've got this certain set of skills and I want everyone to know about it, but I'm going to claw my way through to find out, find all these companies who might be hiring or who might be looking for my skill set. And we don't know who this came from. Maybe they're looking for a new job. Maybe they're on the supplier side and they are, they're looking for more clients. Um, Could be somebody who is uh, looking to to network and grow their, grow their community in the industry. I, I I did give an edge talk during IAPA that was um, it was called networking 102 beyond the business card. And I think that there were a lot of components of it that would probably address some of this question here. But uh, the the overarching theme that I talked about in it is that networking is like a river. Let's say like, here's you are, here's where you are right now. And then here's where your career goals are. To get there, you have to go down the river. And the problem is that networking is so hard that it feels like we're swimming upstream. And we can print out tons of business cards. We can go up to influential people and start conversations. We can be very extroverted and outgoing, but that's probably very difficult for all of us. If we were to look at it as a more long-term strategy, we can look at ways to be able to reverse the flow of the river so that when we walk into an event like an IAPA Expo, we have more people than, uh, than otherwise would come up to us and say, hey, I've heard about you or, hey, I want to talk to you a little bit further. And some of the ways to do that, that I talked about in this talk was about strengthening your online presence. So what are you doing in between shows and expos? Uh, talking about creating content, um, as well as uh, of, of using everything that you're doing from strengthening your online presence and creating content to be able to sort of increase your own presence, increase your own awareness and align it with your skill set. So whether it's something you're passionate about and proficient about, or ideally both, using that to whether it is posting on LinkedIn, whether it is sharing a news article that you can add some commentary to, maybe start a blog, maybe start a podcast. Now that helps to build awareness where you can talk about the skills that you have. So then when you show up at that event, you have someone that says, hey, I've seen you online or, hey, I think we're connected on LinkedIn. I really enjoy the things you talk about. Hey, can we schedule, you know, five minutes or so? And that's them asking you versus the other way around. 
So a lot of the things you're talking about really resonate with me because I would look at this question. I would say, instead of how do I sell my services or how do I sell myself? I would say, how do I serve the industry or serve the people in the industry, which to me goes in line with switching the, 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 uh, the, the flow of the river, right? Yes. Um, So I think you're you're on the, the, the absolutely right track when you talk about starting a blog. You know, if you have a unique perspective, then get that out there. And I've talked to so many people about the ways to get their get themselves out there as a quote unquote expert, right? Because when you write a blog, when you write a book, when you have a podcast, and people start to follow that, they start to see you as someone who's knowledgeable. If they you know like what you have to say and they get some nuggets from that here and there then that there's someone that you become um, like a trusted resource for them, right? Yes. And then to your point, they're coming up to you at things like IAPA or WWA or AIMS or FAA. And they're saying, hey, I really liked what you had to say there. Can we talk more? Or you're getting an email from someone. Um, totally reverses the flow of that river. I love that. Love that right. analogy. Um, yes. Another way that I've um, found to serve, speaking of IAPA, is to speak at IAPA. And there's been, I don't know, five or 10 people uh, just this past show that I said, have you ever considered speaking? Like they're talking about this really passionate topic and they've got really great ideas. And they're like, no, I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. You think anybody would be interested? I'm like, yes, they would. You know, so getting out there, getting on the stage. Yes, it can be nerve wracking for some people, but maybe do it with some other folks. Make it make it a panel, make it a little less nerve wracking for yourself, but get yourself out there so that you're serving the industry by sharing your ideas, sharing what your expertise is. And then to your point, people will then, you know, be more, like, more likely to come to you. But mm-hmm. I also think it's a balance. Right. You know, I think there it's kind of like inbound and outbound sales. Right. I think you have to be doing a little bit of both so that you can be the one that initiates the conversations. And then maybe somebody says, oh, you're Josh. You know, maybe I've seen your little avatar on on LinkedIn and I've seen your name, but I've never seen you in person. So now I'm putting the face with the name, with the article that I wrote and you had started the conversation with me, but now it's clicking in my head. Now the now the dots are connecting. So I do think there's a balance and you have to kind of do the inbound and outbound. Yeah, really good points there. There's there's definitely that balance. And especially if you're if you're doing one, if you're doing the uh if you're trying to flow the inbound, then when you do the outbound, it actually makes it more efficient and more successful. Cause like you said, of oh, this person's reaching out to me. I've heard of them before. When you talk about speaking at events, think about the scalability of selling your services or your marketability, right? You're standing on stage with a captive audience who instead of having one-to-one conversations to people, you're having one to many. There were a couple of sessions that I happened and, and probably the same for you where I had more than a hundred, I think, I think one time I had over 150 people in one session whether they're going to reach out to me for whatever reason or not, they all know that I exist. And that is like the most important piece as far as networking and reversing that flow of the river is you're in my session, whether you agree with me or not, whether you like me or not, whether you're going to call me after or not, whatever you have, you are at least top of funnel aware of my own existence. Right. Yeah. I've spoken at conferences before where uh, I got an email, I think about six to eight months later, with someone who is in the room who didn't even talk to me, actually, they they never introduced themselves to me or I never spoke to them at the conference, but they got my contact info and they reached out. They're saying, and they said, we have this issue and we can't wrap our heads around it. So we wanted to reach out to you because we saw you eight months ago talking about complaint resolution and service recovery. And, and she even said to me, she said, around here, when we have these issues come up, we ask, what would Josh do? At, I thought, I mean, that blew my mind. I said, all I did was stand in a room, talk to talk for an hour to a number of people. And now there's that, there's that snowball and that trickle effect down the road that now they want to reach out to ask me a question. That's something they saw me eight months ago talk about at a conference. Now, if you submit to speak at conferences, particularly, I mean, IAPA, there's a lot of demand. There is a very strong chance that your session might not be selected. If that happens, I, I, I know that because that happened to me for many, many years before they started getting selected. That should not discourage you from submitting anyway, 
And when we talk about those other ways of reversing the flow of the networking river, if that happens, go back, strengthen your online presence even more, create even more content. So then when it's time to submit again, the people who are deciding what sessions to bring into the conference, they'll say, oh, Matt, I listened to his podcast. I follow his blog. I bought his book, right? They now have that greater awareness because you've done those other elements of strengthening your online presence and, and reversing the flow of the river. One last thing I'd like to share on this, and we could probably go on for the entire episode <laughs> just on this one, but it's really fascinating to hear your your take on it, you know, seeing it from this side of it and then now hearing your thought process. Um, but the way that you reverse that flow of the river to me is about consistency, mm. right? You have to be consistent. So speaking at one conference, one time, you know, you might get that email six or eight months later, but you might not. If you're speaking at IAPA every year, or at least, you know, putting your name out there every year, or you're doing a a podcast that goes up at 9am every Tuesday, right? If you're consistent, hypothetically speaking, hypothetically, just, just to pull a random time and day out of the, out of the Eastern time. Yeah. (laughs) If you do that, then people get to get to count on you and they learn that they can count on you and they learn that, oh, okay, Josh is going to be speaking this year. Let me, let me see where he's speaking and let me, let me plan my, my day around that. And then that's where the, the knowledge of who you are gets to, um, uh, you know, they, they get the knowledge of who you are, but then the other two things that are really important, they get to know you, or they get to trust you, right? So they know who you are. They trust what you have to say and they like what you have to say, right? So no trust and like are really critical when you think about how you serve other people. If they are going to want to reach out to you um, with things like, what would Josh do? Those are people that know, like, and trust you. Yes. Yeah. And I like how you said they like what you have to say, because ideally we, we all want to be liked for who we are, but I'll say... You don't have to like me, but I do hope that you like what I have to say. And it's kind of funny. I think about that from the other end. I, I read a few books this year from this author who I, I, I'm reading the book and I'm like hearing his tone of voice. And I just thought, I wish I liked this guy more because I actually really like his process and the things he has to say. So uh, so yeah, as long as the message is is clear, the message resonates, then hopefully that's even more important than wanting just to be liked. Absolutely. Absolutely. So get your applications in for IAPA for next year. If you're thinking about writing a blog, write a blog, reach out to Josh and I. Both of us will be happy to help you um, in support of those initiatives. Let's do it. All right. So that's one topic there. That's one topic. Are we going to run out of time? We might run out of time. <laughs> we we run out of time. before in an AP left, leftover episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's we see how many we can we can tackle here, though. We may have to do two leftover episodes, but we'll see. We so this one is somewhat related, but it's something that um, I know I've been coaching people on. And just at, at the IAPA conference, I had a very um, important conversation about this. How do I overcome imposter syndrome in the industry? So first of all, have you heard of imposter syndrome? I have. Okay. So what's your definition? How would you define imposter syndrome? I think of it as, as I, I, I might be passionate and proficient about a certain topic, let's say, but I know that there are a number of other people who are smarter at it, who are better at it, who are more successful at it. So if we were to tie this into the last question, why would I submit uh, to speak at IAPA on this topic when everyone in the room is going to be way smarter than I am at it? That that I think probably is uh, an example of, of imposter syndrome. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. 100%. I think it's also when you're sitting in a meeting, for example, at your at your workplace, and all these people are popping out ideas, and your mind goes blank. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's nothing you think of. And then afterwards, when you leave, you're like, oh, I should have said this. I should have said that. <laughs> right. Maybe your brain works a little differently and you process things a little differently. But because you can't, you know, explain those or, um, you know, extrapolate your ideas at the same speed and with the same passion that other people do, you might think, well, what what point do I have? Right. I'm I'm an imposter here. I shouldn't be here. That's kind of what the imposter piece is all about. And I did have this conversation with somebody at IAPA. And it was interesting because somebody else that I had this conversation with was also at IAPA. And I got those two together. And I said, Hey, 
person A, I talked to you about this. We kind of worked through this. Now you talk to person B about it and and tell her what you did um, in the, in that situation. And to me, I think this really comes back to confidence in your own experience and and really understanding that your unique perspective is yours and nobody has it. So if you've worked for you know a, a particular company for a long time and you've got that perspective then you can speak to that right or if you've worked for multiple companies you've got the experience of looking at things from different lenses and and getting different people's uh, opinions and saying okay well this is how we did it at a small park and then i went to a big park and we did it over here and then oh i worked at a museum and we did that well there you go there's a lot of different experience that you can pull together that's unique to you and i think sometimes when we hear and see other people with these ideas or these these accomplishments, we think, well, I haven't accomplished anything. I haven't done anything, but you really have. And I think sometimes we just have to look back and say, this is what I've done and be mm-hmm. proud of it and, and know that everybody else has had that same journey. So there's no reason why you shouldn't be just as confident as they are um, in you know sharing your ideas and, and being the expert that you that you probably are, even though you don't think you are. Yeah. And and I think, you know, one of the things you can do too is back it up with real life examples that demonstrate the point you're trying to make or really the the thing that you might feel like an imposter about to say, no, I actually have a track record of of XYZ uh, on the topic of of service recovery. When I talk about it at, you know, at at conferences, I I say, I I mean, I, I say everything but here's why I'm really good at this and I'm going to teach you. <laughs> I don't say that specifically, but I say, here's how here's how the framework that we're going to talk about really developed. Here's how I've used it in the past. And here's how I know that you're going to be able to use it as well. When we talk about the last model or sometimes I call it the LTAST model. And I'll say like, I was able to use this to you know, bring down this guest who was, you know, on fire and over the course of, you know, 15 minutes was able to, to really get them over to the other side. Uh, so building... Well, building that trust, right, and that expertise in advance allows a person going into it to to maybe lean in a little bit closer and to say, oh, this person uh, really knows what they're talking about. So I look forward to hearing more about what they have to say. Uh, It can definitely... Uh, it, it can definitely feel difficult if you feel like, well, everybody else has has their unique perspective. So maybe that person's perspective is actually better than mine. But I think one of the best ways to get rid of imposter syndrome is sometimes you just have to drown it out. Sometimes you, you say like, I'm, I'm confident what I'm doing. I maybe do think that maybe some people will question my authority in this, but you know what? I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm going to get people on my side with uh, with the words that I have to say, with the message that I want to communicate, uh, and then being able to back that up with with a track record of why. Absolutely. So I have a question for you. Um, knowing okay. that you have presented at many, many conferences, you've done many sessions, you've worked with many, many clients, do you, even with your track record, ever feel like when you go into a situation that there's somebody in that room that knows more than you or knows things that are different from what you know? Are you asking if I feel imposter syndrome? No, I'm not asking if you feel imposter syndrome. I'm asking if you feel like when you go into a room that there's other people that could be smarter than you or know things that are different from what you know. I assume that everyone in the room is smarter than I am. <laughs> and I feel like it's probably the case. I, there there have been times where uh, I've gone into guest experience workshops where the, the client has brought me in to to talk to the staff and I'm I'm watching the people come in and maybe this is maybe this is just me judging people immediately on arrival but I I think oh man Every, you know they're they're going to tear me to shreds. Oh, they don't need this. Oh, they they know everything that I'm going to talk about and then some. And then I just get up and start talking, which yeah. is you know there to do. <laughs> and and the room warms up and and there's there are things that I do to maybe seek validation. If I can get some some heads bobbing around, then then that's that's going to fuel me to keep going. I. Uh, but there are also other things too that I can lose momentum. If if I see someone sitting like this, you know, I, and by the way, for those just listening, my arms are crossed, my <laughs> you know, eyebrows are furrowed here. I'm thinking, oh man, this person is ripping me to shreds in their mind right now. But 
I shouldn't do that because that doesn't necessarily mean that. I, I can think of one time I was I was doing that with a group of of employees. There were, there were multiple uh, locations that were in the room. Their general managers were in there. Their general manager from the back of the room was just staring me down the whole time. And then he came up to me afterwards and he said, Josh, I really appreciate uh, everything you talked about and that you really know our business well and that the way that you talked about, you know, the service standards that it really resonated with the staff. And I was like, I wanted to say, as you started to walk up to me, like I was about <laughs> to just turn to stone and crumble, right? Right. And then it turned out that he actually really appreciated what I had to say. Uh, another thing that I like to do too is if I can get someone to say whether they're saying it out loud or at least they look like they're thinking it. Uh, I've never thought of that before. That means that I have brought something into the room that uh, is introducing a new perspective that is gonna keep your gears turning beyond this meeting, this training session, this this education set, whatever that is. And now I'm now I'm eliminating the imposter syndrome for myself because I I got someone to reframe their way of thinking. They're just, they're, and they're gonna walk out saying, this really resonates with me. Yeah, I'm really good at this. Yeah, I'm really smart at this, whatever it is. But now I've got a way of tweaking this and getting better at it as well. Yeah. And so one of the things I think is important about that answer, and thank you for kind of sharing that that thought process, is that I really wasn't asking if you had imposter syndrome, because I think everybody feels that way. But the imposter syndrome is what drives you to kind of sink into yourself and mm -hmm. not do the things that you said, like an imposter syndrome, uh, somebody who's suffering from that, they might, you know, go into that situation and they might not deliver the presentation in the passionate, enthusiastic and energetic way that they know that they can because they're letting those thoughts uh, drive their behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think it's about you know, everybody gets nervous. I don't care who you are. Everybody gets nervous when you're going to talk to people. I do. I bet I bet you do. It's about using that nerve, those nerves in a positive way. So mm -hmm. one of the things I do before all my sessions is I'm going around talking to people, right? Yes, of course, I want to see them. I want to shake their hands. I want to, you know, say hi to old friends, but that also gets me out of my own head of thinking yeah. about what it is that I'm about to say. Right. So it kind of amps me up a little bit. It gets me, you know, kind of in the in the in the fun, enthusiastic mood. But if I didn't do that, I'd probably be in the back, just me knowing who I am. I would be obsessing, like, what's my next thing? What am I going to say in that slide? You know, that kind of thing, because I want that to be a really, really great presentation. And by doing that, you're controlling the energy in the room rather than letting the energy control you. hundred percent. Uh, there was a session I did a, a couple of months ago where it was, it was like a two o'clock session. It was one o'clock, whatever it was. it was. It was right after lunch at the conference. And so I was standing in there and uh, I, I'm the opposite. I don't want to talk to people before my session <laughs> only because I want to be in my headspace of running through my presentation. I want to make sure everything is perfectly buttoned up. Right. So I'm in there and, and I'm just being silent and the screen is, you know, it's, it's got the, the main slide on it and I'm just like running through my head and not even looking and I see a whole bunch of people filing in and then about five minutes before the session started the entire room was full and not a single person was talking and so I looked up and I said "Ooh, this is the after lunch session isn't it everybody's quiet you're full might want to take a nap it's not like the morning session after breakfast got your coffee everyone's taking no right and that completely lifted up the room. It, it changed the energy. People are now laughing. Uh, you know, we're cracking jokes here and there. And then I'm like, all right, it's one o'clock, whatever it is. Let's, you know, let's get started. And then boom, we jumped into it from there. And then it went really well. But if I hadn't done that, if I would have been like, oh man, everybody's just going to fall asleep. Right. Then that might've happened. Then I would have said, okay, it's one o'clock. Let's get started. <laughs> but instead... I allowed myself to control the energy in the room, even though I hate talking to people before the sessions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's a nice way to kind of sum up this imposter syndrome discussion is, are you allowing, if, if we're talking about doing a session or even in a, in a, in a meeting, are you allowing that energy to control you? Or are you the one driving the energy in that room? And I think if you take the, if you take the driver's seat, as scary as that might be, that's what's going to give you the confidence to feel like you're not an imposter, right? Mm -hmm. Now, 
let's be real and honest that not everybody's ideas are great, right? And, and some may flop and you may have a session that doesn't go well. That's okay. You get back up and you do it again. That's the consistency mm-hmm. thing that we talked about earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Not everything you do is going to be great. But if you're consistently good and then you can have pockets of great, people will notice that. And they won't notice it if it doesn't go great. I mean, they might, but it did not go as bad as you thought it did. Exactly. That's an important piece of it. 100%. You are looking at it through your very critical lens. We can be our our worst enemy sometimes, but they're in the room. They're rooting for you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good point. Good point. All right. A little bit on imposter syndrome. Yes. Are you ready for the next one? Let's do it. All right. So how to keep your team engaged during the slower season? How to keep your team engaged during the slower season? So one of the things I think of here is the fact that things change when you know, when there's not as much business, right? So when things are hopping and things are cranking, it's kind of easy to stay engaged, right? Because there's always something to do. Mm-hmm. But when there isn't as much to do, that's when our brain as a leader has to kind of kick in and say, what are we going to get them to do? Or what what are we going to give them to do? So they're not just sitting around and then, you know, wanting to pull out their phone and, you know, do all those kind of things that that make them seem less, enga- less engaged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, do you want to kick this off with some suggestions? Because I, I have some thoughts too, but it, it comes from the lens of how to keep your guests engaged. But if your guests are engaged, it's because your team is keeping them engaged. So they're also engaged. Um, but maybe you want to you want to kick it off first. Here. Well, actually, it's the other side of that coin, right? So <laughs> if you have a slower, you know, uh, um, guest flow, right? That means that your team members theoretically have more time to spend with each guest, right? So that's my first suggestion is to make sure that people have those skills and the attitude and the confidence to interact with guests because they've got more time to do that. When it's really busy, you know, it might feel like next, next, next on the ride on the, you know, if you're in rides or whatever retail, you're trying to get people through as much as you can. But when it's a little slower and people are a little bit more relaxed, You've got a little bit more time at the cash wrap when you are, you know, talking to people and and talking to them about the souvenirs and, you know, oh, this is a great thing. Um, you know, you, you got the perfect souvenir to remember your day here, or whatever it is. You know, you've got more time to engage. And I think that is very engaging to the team, but they've got to be um, taught how to do that in some cases. They need to, that needs to be role modeled. It needs to be an expectation that now you, now that you do have, um, you know, more time to engage more with the guests because that's going to make your day go faster. So mm-hmm. that's one of the first things that's as you talk about, you know, the guest uh, part of it. And we talk about this all the time, the guests and the employee experience. I think they go hand in hand there. Yeah, 100%. So that is exactly what, what I was going to say. When, <laughs> when I talk about uh, exceeding guests' expectations, one of the things that uh, that I talk about being one of the most impactful is personalizing the guest experience. And then, when you personalize the experience, I always say this is an, an accordion style strategy that can and should fit every single level of business that you have. Uh, I like talking about this story once where I was checking into a hotel and I walked up to the front desk uh, and there were three guests who were checking out. There were three front desk agents. They were all checking out. Nobody was in line. And the staff were so engaged. They were going above and beyond. It was so much further than can I print out your bill? You need to ride to the airport. How is your state? Whatever it was. It was like, how is your business meeting? Did you get to do any sightseeing while you were in town? What's the weather like back home? What are your kids doing this summer? And I talk about this as something not to do when you have a queue building and when you want to personalize the experience, but you don't necessarily have the ability to do so unless you're going to compromise the efficiency of the operation. So we want to balance service with efficiency right here. Now, I always say, if I wasn't in line, that would have been perfect, right? But now I've got a whole bunch of people waiting behind me. I also knew it was early in the morning. This was several years ago, and I remember that I hadn't eaten breakfast yet because I remember standing there being like, I'm hungry. I just want to <laughs> check in, right? So in those opportunities, then you've got those quick hit interactions where maybe it's recognizing that hat. Maybe it's finding a, a quick commonality, whatever it is. 
during slower periods of business, and this could be based on seasonality, it could be based on time of day, that's when you do have those opportunities to extend that accordion and say, you know what, I can have a longer conversation with this guest, provided they're able to have it as well. And they're not, in this case, if they were, you know, racing out to catch a flight, yeah, now we're actually, you're, you're being too nice where it's not efficient for everyone else and poor for me too, because I got to get to the airport. Uh, but when you have those opportunities, you can have this full preset list of questions for your guests that you can pull them out whenever you need them. Where are you from? How long are you in town for? Is it your first time here? What's your favorite thing that you did today? What's, you know, maybe there is that sports team's logo and maybe you're a fan of that team. Maybe you're not a fan of that team, but it's something that you can kick up conversation with. You can seek commonalities. And now you're taking this guest and you're bringing them into a friendly conversation that is so much more than the transactional functional need of why that guest is interacting with you. And you're taking it far beyond and you're actually creating a memorable experience out of it, provided it doesn't detract from the efficiency of the operation or safety or any of the other uh, promises that you made to your guests. And they're walking away thinking, oh, I had a great experience, but man, I could have sat, talked to Matt for hours. That was great. So I think what you're getting at is to prepare your team members for that slower season. Yes. And I think back to being- In time operator. of day. In time of day, absolutely. Yeah. I think back to being an operator and I remember having the meetings like ramping up for the busy season and saying, okay, we've got to be efficient. We you know, we want to be safe. We do all these things. But I don't ever remember preparing like that for the slower season. Good like, point. you know, I, I never remember having those, those stand-up meetings by saying, hey, we're going to be a little slower today. So here's how we can interact with our guests, you know? And then what I think happens is people get into that really efficient habit of, you know, go, 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 and don't necessarily take a lot of time to recognize the, the logo on the hat. But then when they have time for it, it's not a habit at that point. So yeah. I think we need to prepare people and get them into that into that mindset before it happens. Um, so I think preparing them. I There was one time... This was at Legoland, Florida, shortly after the park opened and the, you know, confetti had settled and we started to, you know, kind of get back to standard projected attendance. I remember there was this one day, probably before opening or after, sorry, after opening and before the holidays, or maybe it was, it was just after the holidays. So it was probably in like January or so where there's that, there's that lull and the attendance, which was already like projected to be very low, was even lower than that. So my assistant manager and I, we walked around. We said, "Today's guest experience day. We're we're going to walk around." I mean, we were we were a, a retail concession. We were third party vendors. We said, "We're just going to walk around the park. We've got you know a little bit of extra staff. We'll see if anybody wants to go home, but you know we can make it work with our labor budget, whatever it is." Said, so "We're going to talk to guests." And said, "And and we talked about that in our pre shift meeting. We're like, it's going to be a slow day." Talk to your guests. Don't don't rush them through the transaction. Don't rush them out. But you know, engage with them. This had nothing to do with revenue. This had nothing to do with you know. We we need to make sure we you know uh, make a really high per cap today because it's you know there's really low attendance. But no, we need to you know we need to talk to our guests today. We need to make sure that they have a good experience. Um, it, it happened uh, happened more often than not at Hard Rock Park where <laughs> I, was, I was giving guests VIP access to the rides because there was no queue and like, yeah, I'll walk you through it. I'm mean, going to explain everything around here because I I can, I've got the opportunity to do so. And why didn't that park survive? That's another story for another time. With, you know, with service like that, you would think that it would have uh, survived. Whenever a guest is a VIP rock star. <laughs> That's right. You know what? <laughs> one other thing I was going to say is that, you know, again, we, we gravitate toward enhancing the guest experience when you've got the time for the, for the team members that can be very engaging for yeah. the team members. But I also think for any business that's got those ups and downs and the hills and valleys, like a roller coaster, that there's oftentimes during the busy season where you don't have time to do the projects or time to do those, um, those other tasks that you would like to do. And the slower season is a great time to engage your staff to help you figure those things out. In fact, if you you know bring maybe a small focus group together and say, here are the things that we we know are um, maybe pinch points during the during the busy season. How do we know 
take what we know from that last busy season and put together some some new processes or a new procedure that would help make sure that we're tackling that or or not having those pinch points the next year. And that does a couple of things. Not only does it help you get that project done that you was you probably have on your list anyway, right? And you've got so many other things on your list that may have fallen to the bottom of the priority scale. But now you've got your team members involved in it, and they're much more engaged and bought into it because they're part of the solution. They're yeah. part of the group that you have entrusted and empowered to focus on something really important business related, something that's going to have a big impact on the guest, and they're going to be able to see the impact of their actions and the things that they came up with. So mm -hmm. talk about engagement, right? That yeah. is a great way to keep them thinking, keep them engaged, get them to think a little bit more long-term. And this can also be sort of a, a leadership, you know, benchmark or uh, bench strength breeding ground, right? Because you see the people that kind of rise to the top or the people that need a little bit more assistance. And it helps you assess their skills even a little bit more. Yeah. And, and hopefully that builds momentum so that keeps them engaged and even more engaged once you're back in the busy season. And then that's when it's, hey, we got to be efficient, got to be safe, got to operate, got to get guests through. Now, yeah, I'm excited to do all that because we have, you know, we have processes now that I was a part of creating. Yeah. Can I, can yeah. I share one more thing that just popped into my head? Yes. <laughs> so maybe even during the slow season, you're thinking ahead to what you think might be the next slow season and think about how to make it not a slow season. So for example, if your team members are seeing things like, oh, we should have more school groups or it would be great to celebrate this holiday or whatever. We don't do anything for this group, blah, blah, blah. And you can do something that would bring in more people during your typically slow season. Then you've got more time for your your engagement of you know the busier season, um, and the and the team will again see the the impact of that as well. And then you know more people, more revenue, more opportunity to do things. So, boom. boom. So what you're saying is drop. keeping your team engaged can lead directly to increasing the bottom line. Is that what I just heard? I think that's exactly what you just heard. <laughs> awesome. Yes. So we covered we covered three. Yeah. What do you, you want to do one more? Let's try one more. All right. Cool. All right. All right. This, this, this could get meaty. All right. Eliminate, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Eliminating or minimizing gossip and negativity. So eliminating, like eliminating or minimize. I don't know who wrote this, but they started writing it and saying, well, if we can't completely eliminate it, let's at least try to minimize it. <laughs> about it. Gossip and negativity. Okay. This one, I'm going to say, uh, might not be totally in my wheelhouse, but I think as someone who who helps uh, company culture and helps uh, leaders engaged, I'm going to kick it over to you. <laughs> at least to start it off. I'm sure I'll come up with something. So I am going to quote um, one of our previous guests, Brad Collins. Um, who I happened to see speak uh, during the leadership symposium at IAPA. And one of the things that he says that his organization does is they have declared war on gossip. Mm. And what that means is like in the, in your mindset, right? If you hear it, you've got to shut it down. Right. And you've got to be diligent about not letting it spread. I think that's the worst part about gossip is how quickly it spreads. And then, you know, asking those really important questions is this true? So if I hear you say something, you say something to me about somebody that we know mutually, right? And if I don't say to you, well, is this true? You know, I will probably take it as true mm. and it may not be, but then I may go tell somebody else. And this is how gossip spreads because maybe it's juicy. Maybe it's really interesting, right? And so if I don't, if somebody doesn't draw a line in the sand and stop it, it's going to continue to grow. So I love what he says about kind of declaring war on gossip by just being really diligent about it. And when you hear it, you got to shut it down. And that may be uncomfortable. That may be, you know, a, what somebody would call a difficult conversation. But if you don't do it, it's going to spread and it's going to have a really negative impact on your team uh, overall. Do you think that there's also then, and this, I, I love this strategy it sounds extremely proactive yeah. on it and saying like we we know that it, it it'll exists if we don't do anything about it uh part of that do you think is about 
uh, giving the tools and communication channels to say, if there is something that you need to share, because gossip is usually something that it, I would imagine can lead, lead to something damaging for an individual. But if there is something that perhaps somebody sees that they have the opportunity to spread as gossip or be able to run up the chain and get to the particular individuals, having that ability to submit that type of, not even feedback, that type of information, uh, whether it's private, whether it's anonymous, and of course, you know, free of retaliation and, you know, and, and everything there uh, uh, to, you know, to, to not be a whistleblower, I guess, uh, it, the importance of kind of creating that in your overall structure of communication. Yeah, I think anytime you talk about communication and when it's something that might be uncomfortable, right? You've got to be able to create a safe space around that. So what is that process? What's the, what's the, what's the role or what's the, how, how are leaders modeling that particular safe space? So again, if you were to come to me and say something, you know, if I were to say, you know, Josh, do you think that's really true versus Josh, you shouldn't be spreading gossip. You know, yeah. I mean, those, those two things are, are two responses are very different, but I also think kind of to your point that if someone hears something and maybe there is what they think is a little bit of truth to it, but you know, they, they just want to make sure that they're on the kind of the right side of the situation and they bring it to management, then management obviously has to keep that confidential, but also not retaliate against that person, you know, for bringing that to them. So absolutely. I think that's a, that's a, that's a key element. And you're right that this is a very proactive strategy. And I think what goes along with this is a proactive communication strategy and to be as transparent as you can be and answer all the questions that you get and really um, encourage as many questions as you can through town halls, through one-on-ones, through, you know, informal communication, building the relationship. Let's go back to the know, like, and trust, right? Do your, do your team members know enough about you in the process to know that they can trust you with this information? And do they like the things that you have to say, right? Do they like the way that you're answering that question? They may not always, then they may not always agree with what you have to say. But what my experience tells me is that if people recognize that the intent is positive and that they're, you know, that person is doing the best they can, that nine times out of 10, they're going to give them the, the benefit of the doubt, right? Sure. And say, well, I see that Josh is doing as a leader for this organization is doing absolutely everything that they can, not trying to sweep anything under the rug, you know, not trying to hold things back from us. That kind of goodwill goes a long way. And I think it also, that's that's more of the proactive way to stop that gossip and negativity because now you've got this open communication. Yeah. And I tell the story all the time about when I was working with an organization and you know I was in the director meeting and then all their managers were in there. And the director said, if you need to use overtime, use it, but just let me know, right? And then right after that, I went to one of the manager meetings. So we were in the same meeting and the manager says, no overtime can be used whatsoever. <laughs> and that was my, you know, like for those listening, uh, Josh's eyebrows just flew off his head. <laughs> to me, that is the definition of kind of being closed with your communication and creating a brick wall, right? So with communication, as it flows, we'll use the river again, right? You know, as it flows from, from directors to managers to supervisors to frontline and then back up, especially the people in the middle of that, they have to be, well, in my opinion, uh, a bridge for that communication, right? It's got to flow and they've got to be a conduit to make sure that, that that communication flows in a transparent way. But what I just described is more of a brick wall. So are you as a manager or a leader being a bridge or are you being a brick wall? And if you're being a brick wall, that's when people start to kind of take things into their own, um, their own, uh, their own thought process. Right. And they start thinking, well, if they're keeping this from us, what else are they keeping from us? Or they're not telling us all this. So I'm going to fill in the blanks. And that's usually much, much worse than reality. Um, so that's where the gossip and the negativity comes from. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, those are some good ways, not only to declare war, like Brad says, afterwards. So if it to make sure it doesn't happen, but also proactively with those communication channels. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you to, to Brad for uh, 
uh, for talking about that. And, and obviously thank you, Matt, for, uh, for that input. I think there's a lot of great insights in there. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So are we, are we full yet of these leftovers? Uh, you know, I think we're, we're full, at least from a time perspective. <laughs> Maybe uh, if, if people want more, we'll do a, we'll do a part two and we'll get the, to the rest of these, but I, you know, but otherwise, you know, we, we love doing this podcast format, particularly Attraction Pros Live, where we really do get to tap into the collective wisdom of the room and uh, be able to hear issues and challenges that people are having that uh, that they can realize are are not unique to their own and, and that uh, many other people in the industry, regardless of where they are, or even if it's a totally different type of attraction are, you know, are, are facing or experiencing. And then it really allows people to, to collaborate and come to solutions together. And what I think we should probably reiterate is that just because we're not doing an Attraction Pros Live right now, right this minute, that doesn't mean people can't ask us questions, right? Mm -hmm. We always welcome questions, whether it's through the socials, whether it's through our email, attractionpros at gmail.com. Any, any way that you want to reach out to us, if you have questions, if we don't have the answer, we will go to the collective wisdom of our audience and the, and the people around us to try to find that, our, our network, if you will. Uh, because ultimately, our goal is to make sure that you have the right information, tools, and and um, and resources to be the best leader and the best best person you can be. So if you have questions, let us know. Exactly. And then, you know, with the way that you describe that, you know, it's not just about us having the answers. In fact, we're usually the ones who are asking the questions and trying to gain as much information as possible, whether it's from the guests that we have on the podcast or the people uh, when we do Attraction Pros Live who are in the room. And you know why? Um, because we are all Attraction Pros. Thanks for listening to the Attraction Pros Podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can tune in when new episodes release. And even better, please leave us a review on iTunes. For more information, visit attractionpros.com.